Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and help provide solutions that suit how you do business, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. At The Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. This is Bloomberg Law with June Grosso from Bloomberg Radio. We have uh, you know, a few billion on our balance sheet right now. We are profitable. We're in a relatively strong place from a financial perspective. That was Sam Bankman-Fried, the one-time crypto king, in July, talking about FTX being a profitable business. Now we're watching the epic unraveling of the cryptocurrency exchange, free-falling into bankruptcy and exposing shocking secrets. So far, the bankruptcy has revealed a chaotically run web of intertwined companies, $9 billion in liabilities it couldn't pay, the apparent misuse of customer funds, and billions of dollars in loans to Bankman Freed and his top executives. And those are just a few of the revelations. Joining me is bankruptcy attorney Jonathan Shanson, a partner at Greenberg Glusker. John Ray, who was appointed to oversee FTX as its CEO during the bankruptcy proceedings, has worked on major bankruptcy cases, including Enron, and he said, Never in my career have I seen such a complete failure of corporate controls and such a complete absence of trustworthy financial information as occurred here. What does that tell you? It sounds unbelievably dire for the many customers and users out there. None of the financial information is reliable. It's not even clear which of the 100 plus entities are responsible for what and who owns what assets, if any. And, you know, the fact that John Ray was involved with Enron and he's making this type of statement, it's pretty alarming, pretty alarming. Ray said that a disparate group of supervisors approved disbursements by responding with personalized emojis and that corporate funds were used to purchase homes and items for advisors and employees. Is that mismanagement or is that something beyond mismanagement? Is that fraud? Oh, it's mismanagement. It is a clear breach of their fiduciary obligations and duties to the company. And it's hard to say it was unknowing, despite the inexperience of of these individuals. I mean, they were heading up a multi-billion dollar enterprise and certainly had the wherewithal to have proper advisors in place. I assume they did. And this seems to me to be blatant fraud and misconduct, and it's actionable. There was a billion-dollar loan to Bankman Freed, $2.3 billion to Paperbird, an entity majority owned by Bankman Freed, about half a billion to the head of engineering at FTX, among other loans. Bankman Freed 
Is that a form of embezzlement? I mean, we don't know exactly the circumstances under which these transfers occurred, but it's hard to conclude anything other than that. It's theft at the end of the day. However, you may dress it up, you know, sometimes transactions may be papered in a certain way to give an appearance that it's not as improper as it otherwise would be regarded. But yes, I think the clear answer is there was theft and embezzlement at a large scale. It appears there was some sort of backdoor relationship between FTX and Alameda. And Bankman Freed reportedly transferred $10 billion of customer funds from FTX to Alameda in early November. Does that transfer now seem suspicious? It looks incredibly suspicious. It looks and it appears to be pretty clear that he was using customer and user assets to prop up what was, you know, his quant hedge fund which was experiencing severe losses. And he was essentially, you know, using other people's money to prop up a hedge fund that was clearly troubled and insolvent and cascading into the disaster we now see. This seems sudden. Do companies normally go bankrupt on such short notice? Well, on short notice, I guess it depends short notice to whom. Um, But In this particular case, as it relates to FTX, everything happened very quickly, you know, in the course of a week or two. And it is a little bit unusual that there wasn't some sort of sense that there was this decline happening and that there would be a need for a bankruptcy filing. It it did happen rather quickly. It's not as uncommon in the crypto space, just given the volatility of the market. And frankly, uh, the, the pace in which things seem to happen. So I think in general, the answer is no. You know, things don't usually happen this quickly without any sort of notice on the one hand. On the other hand, in this industry, I think it is uh, less uncommon. I understand that this is what's known in the industry as a freefall bankruptcy. Yes. And so what the freefall bankruptcy is, getting at is typically a company, particularly a company the size of FTX, would want to file a bankruptcy in an organized and methodical fashion where they thought about what they're going to need immediately upon the bankruptcy filing to facilitate a smooth transition into bankruptcy. And so often in a bankruptcy that is not a free fall, there will be you know, six, seven, ten, and in this case, perhaps there could have been even more, what are called first-day motions. And these are motions that are essentially filed on the first day. They're referred to as first-day motions. And the idea is that given some of the limitations under the bankruptcy code, extraordinary relief is needed immediately to sort of smooth or to allow for a smooth transition into a bankruptcy. For instance, upon a bankruptcy filing, a company can't pay any debt that is a pre-bankruptcy debt. There's exceptions that can be made in the context of a first-day motion. Let's say, for instance, a company is in the middle of a payroll cycle. Well, the last thing you want is for a company to file bankruptcy and therefore to be no provision immediately for assuring that employees that may have accrued wages prior to the filing in the middle of the payroll period aren't going to have their payroll honored in the ordinary course. So a first-day motion might provide for 
a request of the bankruptcy court to allow for the company to continue in the ordinary course to make payroll. So in this case, in the case of FTX, the free fall bankruptcy is associated with the fact that it, this is a rather large company. And on the day they filed, they simply filed a petition um, with no other pleadings or other paperwork for any sort of relief. And for that matter, no pleadings or, or any filings that would tell anybody what's going on with the company's financials and what problems led to the company's bankruptcy filing uh, and what issues are going to be front and center, at least immediately, now that the company is in bankruptcy. So the free fall concept suggests that this was done at the last minute without much planning, and it's very unusual for a large company to find itself in a free fall bankruptcy because usually there's enough time and planning that takes place to prevent that from happening. Do we know what caused the bankruptcy? There was an effort on the part of, I guess we'll call them SBS, to support Alameda Research, which was a hedge fund, a sister company of the exchange FTX. And the transfer of that $10 billion clearly left a hole in the liquid assets uh, of FTX that customers presumably, you know, would want to withdraw or have a basis to withdraw, and it wasn't going to be there anymore. The bankruptcy and the issues surrounding the illiquidity in large measure had to do with reporting initially by CoinDesk suggesting that the companies, in this case, Alameda Research, most of its assets were an FTX generated or an FTX coin, the FTT. And that token, if you will, really is a token which value is tied to providing customers of FTX with discounts on trade. So there isn't a lot of intrinsic value associated with that token. And there was a lot of the token in Alameda Research, which called into question the value of the hedge fund, which led to the need for it to be supported by customer assets, which were transferred by SBF, in part to bolster the strength of the fund. And the reason why the fund was under pressure was due in part to the CoinDesk revelation that that's what Alameda Research was largely holding. And then you begin to peel the onion back a little bit and realize that there's no liquidity because this stuff doesn't really have an intrinsic value. And so it sort of created a run on the bank, particularly when Binance, which had made an investment in FTX, was basically liquidating its position as FTX and Binance were parting ways. So it created pressure on FTX and its token. And that news hit and customers became concerned and there was increasing efforts on the part of the customer base of FTX to withdraw their assets from FTX, which is sort of the classic run on the bank, if you will. And knowing that FTX didn't have the wherewithal liquid assets to honor those customer withdrawals, it had to stop that process, which inevitably led to the need to file for a bankruptcy. Does that transfer now seem suspicious? 
it looks incredibly suspicious. It looks and it appears to be pretty clear that he was using customer and user assets to prop up what was, you know, his quant hedge fund, which was experiencing severe losses. And he was essentially, you know, using other people's money to prop up a hedge fund that was clearly troubled and insolvent and cascading into the disaster we now see. The crypto exchange was as a privately held company, which means it doesn't have to share its financial statements with the public. Do you think that led to the problems that we're seeing today? Well, there's no question that the the fact that these exchanges are not subject to clear regulation uh, and rules is a big problem. And is certainly a contributing factor to what was able to be accomplished by FTX in terms of transferring funds undetected by auditors, frankly, to Alameda. If there was a more robust regulatory environment and rules in place with regulatory oversight, we wouldn't necessarily have as big of a problem as we have today. So, yes. Does Ray have a grasp of the balance sheet? John Ray made it pretty clear in the paperwork that was filed that that none of the accounting is really reliable at this point. And even accounting for assets, things such as bank accounts, he doesn't even have a proper list of the bank accounts, where the money is. So we really don't have any sense of the asset values that may be there, let alone the liabilities. This is a Chapter 11 bankruptcy, reorganization. But does it look as if FTX can be, or is this going to turn out more likely to be a liquidation? At its core, this is going to be a liquidation, just given the damage to the brand and the fact that there doesn't appear to be any real asset value beyond other people's money. At its core, it's going to be a liquidation. There's a number of entities many of which are not actually in bankruptcy right now, subsidiaries of some of these debtors that may ultimately be businesses that can be sold. And how likely is it that customers will get any of their money back? I think there is hope that customers will get some money back. It will be not for quite some time, and customers will be likely to get pennies on the dollar, and maybe pennies is a little too bleak, but customers will not get most of their deposits and assets back from this exchange. And the question really is how successful Mr. Ray and the other newly appointed directors are in terms of bringing value and asset transfers back into the bankruptcy estate to enhance recoveries for customers and creditors. Thanks, Jonathan. That's Jonathan Shanson, a partner at Greenberg Glusker. And that's it for this edition of the Bloomberg Law Show. Remember, you can always get the latest legal news on our Bloomberg Law podcast. You can find them on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and at www.bloomberg.com slash podcast slash law. And remember to tune into the Bloomberg Law Show every weeknight at 10 p.m. Wall Street time. I'm June Grosso, and you're listening to Bloomberg. Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and help provide solutions that suit how you do business. 
from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. At The Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.